Okay, quick show of hands. How many said that the Panthers are going to lose? Okay, that's all right. God loves you anyway. How many said the Panthers are going to win? All right. We may be in denial, but at least we're happy, right? We'll see. Um, I do, there is a reason I had you thinking about football. It'll make more sense in just a little bit. Because y'all are always like, what? We're talking about football? I get it. It'll make sense in a minute. Now, this morning we're in week two of our John the Baptist series. Um, last week we talked about the man, and this morning we're going to talk about the mission. But let me just ask this question from the back of the room. Okay, Tim, you'll be honest with me, right? Can you see that I have a beard? No? Can I talk to somebody in the second row that will lie? Can you see that I have a beard? Not really. <laughs> I am, we're, yeah, it's so full, I can, um, we are, we have like, this is no shave November, and so we're kind of, well, I was going to say we're growing beards, we're trying to grow beards, I'm not doing well at all. This is November the 10th, and this literally is 10 days for me of, I mean, couldn't you at least laugh quietly to yourself? Did you have to, did you have to belly laugh? I don't understand. Um. I'm so thankful. There are some of there are some men here that have shaved since the first of the month, and I just want to say thank you, because you would have beaten me. There's no way. Um, this this probably would have looked like on November the 30th as well. Like I know we're worried about the wedding. Like like how scraggly will Paul look? Don't you have a lot of peace right now? I'm gonna look like this. <laughs> you know. Anyway. So we're we're kind of growing beards um, because John had a beard and he was the second greatest bearded man to ever live outside of Jesus. And so we're kind of taking this, just having some fun with No Shave November and also learning about John the Baptist. So this morning, um, I, want to, I want to give you a few names and see if you recognize any of them. You ready? Five names. Here we go. Roland Harper. Jim Braxton. Tommy Vardell. Daryl Johnston. You're like, that sounds familiar. What about Brad Hoover? Okay, good. Football player. All right, now let me give you five more names. See if these sound a little bit more familiar. Walter Payton. O.J. Simpson. Barry Sanders. Emmett Smith. Okay, Panther fans. We're going back a little bit. Stephen Davis. Okay, so here's why. You recognize the second group of people because those are the, those are the halfbacks on professional p football teams. They're the ones that took the ball and ran and scored all the, the touchdowns and got all the yards, right? The first five were the fullbacks that blocked for them. And so here's what I want you to get this morning. This is just last night as I was kind of all week up in preparing this message. I was going in one certain direction. And then last night, just like that, God just drops this metaphor in my spirit, and it's perfect. Because I don't know how, what you think about John the Baptist. Like, we talked about him last week. Who is he? He's kind of this weird guy that eats locusts and honey and all that stuff. And he's out in the desert, and he's got a big beard. But what was his mission? What was the mission of John the Baptist? Matthew 3, 3 says this. John was to prepare the way for Jesus and make straight paths for Jesus. So let's just make it really simple. John the Baptist was the fullback for Jesus. That's what he did. And so to do that, he had to do three things, just three points this morning, real simple. And we're going to find out that if we're going to prepare the way for Jesus in our culture, we've got to do the exact same, three, exact same three things. Here we go. Number one, John 
had to go first. Fullbacks don't go after the running back. That would kind of be stupid, right? Here, here's the ball. You go ahead and go through that line, and I'll come after you and kind of clean it up. Fullbacks have to go first, right? Um, that was his role. How many of you are into outdoors? Raise your hand. So if I said, let's go blaze a trail, you know that that means we're going to go get machetes and really cool, sharp objects and probably not your keys, right? You're going to get something really sharp. We're going to go out into the woods, and we're going to find a place where there is no trail, but we think there should be a trail, and then we're going to start doing what? Cutting stuff down. And every guy in here is like, oh, yeah, let's do that, right? Guys are like, give me something sharp, and let's go cut things. And if you get in my way, you'll be one of the things cut. Sorry, right? I'm a guy with a blade. Here we go. So we start blazing the trail. And that sounds like so much fun until you realize that you have to blaze the trail. It takes work. It's not quite as glamorous as we think it would be. It sounds like something your dad would make you do on Saturday morning when you'd rather be sleeping, right? Today we're going to blaze three miles of trails. Thanks, Dad. And by we, you mean I'm going to do it and you're going to take credit for it, right? That's how dads operate sometimes. So sometimes we have to go first. We don't really want to go first. Um, this weekend is all about veterans, and I was thinking about this yesterday. I am just, I love the story of D-Day. I love the Normandy invasion, and, and you start reading about all the beach landings that went along with that. And so last night, I, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff online about that. And I'm reading, and I'm reading, and I'm just honored to be a part of a country where we have men that would go before us like that. Veterans go first, don't they? People in the service, they go first. And so on D-Day, I was reading about the Omaha Beach landing, and here's what I found out. Lots of stuff that I don't understand. They're like using military terms and stuff like that. But here's one thing I did get. They said there were two waves that landed, on, not like ocean waves, but waves of soldiers that landed on Omaha Beach for D-Day. The first wave had three times as many casualties as the second wave. As a matter of fact, I was reading, they were saying stuff like, within 30 minutes of landing, only like a handful of people had actually made it to the beach. All the rest of them were in the ocean. The guy that was writing it said that the ocean was red within 30 minutes because people were just dead floating in the water. But if they hadn't gone first, then whoever was coming second would have gone first, and they would have been red in the water. I mean, sometimes going first, it sounds so glamorous. But when you go first, these men literally jumped off the boat knowing we're going to die. But if we don't go first, there's not going to be freedom. I'm humbled by that. We make going first glamorous. But going first is a call to die so that other people can live. Ironically enough, that's what Jesus calls us to. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his cross. Whoever saves his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it and find it. We're called to go first. John was called to go first to make a way for Jesus. And if we're going to do that well, we've got to be willing to go first. And I have to call you to that. Like, I get to read and read verses where Jesus calls us to go first. It sounds so awesome until you go first, right? I want to be a fullback. 
I want to have muscles that are just ripping everywhere. And I really want to hit a linebacker that's three times as big as me and running fast too. Everybody wants to be a fullback until the first collision. Then they're pretty sure they don't want to be a fullback anymore. John had to go first. He had to go hard, number two. Fullbacks, they don't walk into the line, right? Later today when um, the Panthers are playing at San Francisco and they're in the middle of winning the game and Mike Tolbert has a job to do, he's, if you don't know who that is, he's the guy that's about this tall and this wide. He's like the bowling ball with pads on. If he's blocking, he's not tiptoeing to the line, is he? Man, he's going hard into the line. He's going with a mission. I'm going to blow up whoever is standing right there. And there will be collision after collision, and he will do it for the entire game. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It's a verse that I've heard a lot. Never really made sense until I thought about John the Baptist being a fullback. But it says in verse 12, Matthew 11, From the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus is talking. He says, The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. I, I used to love that verse, especially when I got mad. Because I, I felt like I could hit people, and they'd be like, why are you hitting me? Hey, I'm just doing the Lord's work. Forceful men take hold of it. But what he's saying is, this is not for pansies. This is not about sitting around a campfire and singing kumbaya. This is about forceful people going into a hole, and not just going first, but going hard. And hitting the enemy as hard as you possibly can so that Jesus can do something in this culture. This is not the kind of thing you sign up for so you can sit around and sip tea. This is a call to warfare. It's a call to a battle. You start to understand why people would follow Jesus for a little bit and then they would go, huh, I don't know about this and walk away. Start to understand why Jesus said that few are those who find the way. It's narrow. Everybody wants to just hang out and have fun. But when somebody goes, wait a second, we need somebody to jump off the boat and go to the beach. And we need you to go to the beach with, like, guns and weapons. Because we need you to go engage the enemy and kill people. Oh, I tell you what, here's what I'll do. I'll kind of hang back on the boat here and make sure it doesn't sink. Y'all go ahead and go. John the Baptist had to go first. John the Baptist had to go hard. This is not for people who are fearful. This is why Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 that we have armor that we need to put on. Colossians 4.12, Paul wrote about one of his colleagues. This is what he used. He said he's always wrestling in prayer. What, what is prayer like for you? Here's what prayer is like for me. Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. When I was in high school, my prayer was like this. Oh, God. Change this mystery meat into steak. <laughs> Try again, right? But prayer, if we really understand prayer, he says he's wrestling in prayer. Anybody here wrestle? I wrestled once in my life in PE class because they made us. For three minutes, I had to, like, touch men where you shouldn't touch. It was awkward and weird, and I never did it again because it was hard. Try wrestling for three minutes. Just three minutes. And at the end, I'm like, <laughs> I was easy to beat. 
Like 30 seconds into it, I just, I didn't move. I just laid on the mat. It's like whispering, hit me, kick me, bite me. I'm just not moving. I'm staying right here. Give me cauliflower ear, which is a really weird thing. Have you ever seen that? Like the, the ears swell up, weird. Wrestling's hard. And, and Paul uses that as an analogy of prayer. My guess is if we went around the room, none of us are wrestling in prayer like that. Why would somebody wrestle in prayer like that? Why would Paul even use that analogy? Like he's not convincing any of us to spend time in prayer, right? He uses that analogy because somebody's got to go hard. Forceful men take hold of it. This is why if you read in first in Samuel, David, when he fought Goliath, we hear about this in Sunday school all the time. But the, the cool part about that story is that David ran towards Goliath. He didn't tiptoe, sneak up on the giant. He ran at him. Caught him off guard. The last two words that Goliath ever thought were, what the? And then he was dead. It's like when um, I used to tell our kids they would play clump soccer. You know what clump soccer is? Like four and five-year-olds. They just The ball's there, and they just go together. And go together. It's a big clump. I said, man, just run at the ball and start screaming. People will run out of your way just because they're scared of you. I mean, there's something about taking people off guard, catching them by surprise. That's what David did. He ran at Goliath. We love the phrase, go big or go, or go home, right? So John went big. He was a man who would not back down from a challenge. He spoke truth to anyone. He spoke truth to everyone, no matter what it cost him. As a matter of fact, we're in Matthew chapter 11. The reason why he's in prison in the verse that we're going to read is because he spoke truth to a king. Um, Matthew 3, verse 7. He's out baptizing people, and guess who shows up to get baptized? All the church members. So just picture this, right? We've got a little tub set up over here, and I'm in the water. I'm ready to baptize. Well, it's not set up. And then you, you come and you walk over there to get baptized, and I look at you and I say this. What's up, big bunch of snakes? Dude, I'm coming to get baptized, so your numbers will look better. Yeah, whatever, dude. You don't even mean it. Get out of here, you big bunch of snakes. Bear forth fruit with repentance. That's the kind of stuff that John the Baptist would say. Then when they showed up to get, to get baptized, he called them a brood of vipers. It's not how you make people your friends, right? This is a man who knew what it meant to not just go first, but to go hard. Mark chapter 6, you can just jot this down. You can read it later, 14 through 29. This is the story that landed John in prison in Matthew 11, where we are today, it says this in Matthew 11:2. It says, when, G when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him a question. Before we even get to the question that he asked him, we have to ask this, how was John, why is he in prison? In Mark chapter 6, that's where we learn why he's in prison. And here's basically what happened. There was a king who fell in love with another king's wife. And he told that, king, that king's wife, you should leave your king and you should come live with me. And John was the only one who stood up and said, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And so they, they threw John in prison. So why is John in prison? Because he went first to prepare the way for Jesus, and he went hard. He wasn't afraid to speak truth. And so this king's like, I don't like you anymore. I'm putting you in prison. And so while he's in prison, the woman that shouldn't be with that king hates John. Because if you were that woman, you wouldn't like John either, right? We don't like people that tell us the truth. We don't like those people at all. 
And so while they're having a birthday party, she gets her daughter, probably 16-year-old daughter, to dance for the king. I'm not sure what kind of dance it was, but it was a, it was a good enough dance that when it was over with in his drunken state, he said, baby, you can dance. You are amazing, and whatever you want up to half my kingdom, it's yours. So I'm not advocating this as a fundraiser. I'm not saying we should all learn how to dance, so people will tell us they'll give us up to half the kingdom, but that's exactly what happened. And so when this girl could have had whatever she wanted, she went back to her mom and said, hey, dude liked my dancing. He said, I can have up to half the kingdom. What do you want me to get? And she said, just tell him you want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now listen, this is not the message that we're talking about this morning, but can we just talk about grudges for a second? When you're asking as a gift to get somebody's bloody head on a platter, you got problems with a grudge, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things I want for Christmas. Your head on a platter, not one of them. And if you would like my head on a platter for Christmas, you've got problems with a grudge, right? I mean, when this is what we're asking for, and we would never, I know how, how we are, we would never actually ask for that. But we might find ourselves not praying that God blesses certain people. Not much different, right? Well, I, I just, I'll sit on the other side of church this morning so that I don't have to see that person. Look, is this getting way too close to home now? Because that's a grudge. I'll just make sure that I drop my offering into the least used offering container and I'll let them put theirs in the most used offering container. That way we can pass on to either side of the orange wall. So we don't have to see each other while we're looking at a map of a world that Jesus died for. That's a grudge. So we would never actually ask for your head on a platter, but we still hold a grudge. John the Baptist died as a result of a grudge. And we can get theological all day long. When I was God's timing for him to die, and he's bettered off, Jesus wanted him, all the stuff we say when people lose loved ones. He died because a woman held a grudge against him because he spoke the truth, and she convinced her daughter to dance for a king to get him so aroused sexually that he would ask for her, she could have anything you wanted, so that her mom could have her get John the, head, John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's why he died. And it's quiet in here because it should be, because we're human. And all of us wrestle with this stuff. So right now, I'm the one that's going first and going hard, right? Which means I'm going to die. Okay, that's great. Fantastic. So the point here, now we're back in Matthew 11. This is the part I really want you to get. Three things that John the Baptist had to do. He had to go first. He had to go hard. When John had heard in prison what Christ was doing, and what was Christ doing? Christ was preaching the gospel. Christ was going around all of Galilee. He was healing the sick. He was seeing people follow him. He was, he was seeing people turn their hearts back to God. When John heard about all of that, he sent his disciples to Jesus, verse 3, to ask him this question. Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So here's John the Baptist, who, from what we know in Scripture, he's the cousin of Jesus, so he knew Jesus. 
Maybe that's why he was wondering if Jesus was the one, because they were cousins. I don't know. They're cousins. He was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. We learned that last week. Like his, he, he leaped, he leapt in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was ever even born. He was told from a very young age what his purpose was, and his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. He baptized Jesus. Literally, John 1, 29 is the confession that marked the end of John the Baptist's ministry and the beginning of Jesus because that was when Jesus stepped into the water at the Jordan and John the Baptist said, this is the man. This is the man who was to come. So he knew it. And then he baptized him. And I don't know if you've ever audibly heard the voice of God. I have not ever audibly heard the voice of God. But he did. He baptized Jesus. He brought him up out of the water. And something that's never happened here when we baptize. But if it ever does, it'd be cool with me. He sees a dove descend from heaven. And he hears the voice of God saying, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now listen. If we heard all of that, isn't that enough? Don't you think that should be enough? But yet John's in prison. And he's about to die. And he gets one phone call. By carrier pigeon, probably. But his one call is, hey, get a hold of Jesus. I just need to ask one more time. Are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? John had, had seen a lot of things. He had watched his ministry decrease while Jesus' had increased. At one point, John chapter 3, verse 26, you can write that down. At one point, somebody actually said to John, you know that everybody's leaving you and going to Jesus? Some reporter from the snap is trying to get a really good story, right, to sell papers, like trying to stir something up. You know, like everybody's leaving you and they're going over there. What do you think about that? And John's answer is John 3.30. He says, well, it's obvious that he must increase and I must decrease. I think that the longer John lived, the more he fulfilled his mission. I think the more he knew how his life was going to end. I've mentioned this to you a couple times about Koshi in India. But Koshi has made the statement to many of us over there. I know that I won't die a natural death. I mean, just kind of live knowing that, right? I think John the Baptist probably had a pretty good indication. I'm not going to die like most men. And even here, he just wanted to know, have I blocked for the right running back? Because now I'm in prison. My body's hurting. i got some broken bones. I've had ankle surgery on both ankles. My knees are shot. I'm, I'm, I'm too, I, I played in the NFL when they weren't paying really good salaries, so I'm too broke to get hip replacement. And I'm all banged up. And, and what I was just going to ask you, did I, did, I, did I block for the right back? You ever have doubt like that? If we're honest, don't we doubt like that? Like, hasn't Jesus done enough for us that we would never have to wonder if he's really worth following? And yet, tomorrow is Monday. So, one crossword from your boss, and you'll be like, is it worth it? God, is it worth it to follow you? Because this is just how we are. Jesus' response to John's disciples Go back and tell John, verse 5, the blind receive sight, the lame hear, 
the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. After an entire career of blocking for Jesus and playing second fiddle to Jesus, Jesus' answer to John the Baptist was this. We won. Like, I get it. You're in the dirt, and you just block for me, and like 300-pound men are falling on top of you, and your head is pushed into the ground, and you've got grass on your face mask, and you've got blood coming down this eye. But if you'll just look up, you will see that I am crossing the goal line. We win. The one thing he didn't tell John was um, the one question that you and I are thinking about. When's he getting out of prison? Right? So like, okay, Jesus, I get it. We win. That's fantastic. We're going to have a ticker tape parade. When do I get out of prison so I can be with you for that? And Jesus never told John he was getting out of prison. Do you know why he didn't get out of prison? Somebody say why. His job, his job was done. Because the third thing that you have to do, that John had to do, that you and I have to do, first you got to go, you got to go first. You've got to go hard. But here's the third one, and here's the one that most of us miss. After you've done that, you've got to go away. Um, okay, I'm running these football analogies into the ground. So if you're sick of it, just this is the last one, and then we'll move on. By the way, how many of you really like football? Okay, good. So I'm talking to some people that are into this. Um, if you and if you don't like football, just watch one game and you'll it'll all make sense to you. Here's what fullbacks can never do. Okay, I've never played fullback, but I'm just going to speculate. They can't get down in the crouch. They can't come up and they can't hit the hole first, hit the hole hard, block, and when that person falls down, just go, yeah, that's right. Because if they do that, what's happening? They're in the way. You've got to get out of the way. You have to go away. John the Baptist had done what he was called to do. Jesus is like, thanks. And just so you know, John the Baptist, that what you've done was the right thing. All those prophecies that you heard all your life from Isaiah that your dad read to you at night when he would pray with you, about how you were going to prepare the way for the person who was going to help the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers be cured, the gospel be preached. Hey, John, guess what? I'm doing all that. Good job. But what we do is we block. We might get the first two right, and then we just want to stay right there and glory in it. You, you've got to understand, if we're going to make a way for Jesus in Albemarle, we get to die. We get to decrease so he can increase. We don't get to tell everybody the gathering is the best church around because ain't no church blocking the enemy like the gathering blocks the enemy. Because then we're still in the way. And Jesus can't do anything. Or he has to run over us. Like, that was an awesome block, and now I'm going to kick your butt because you're in my way. Well, I don't want that either, right? We want to do our job well. And so we have to go first. We have to go hard, and then we have to go away. What does that mean? Does that mean we just stop coming to church? No. It means that we are so careful to make sure Jesus gets the glory for what only Jesus can do. 
he must increase, I must decrease. I, it's crazy to think that that promise can come reality, can become a reality without pain, isn't it? Our mission is the exact same as, Jesus, as John's. Make a way for Jesus to redeem others. Here's two verses to write down. Acts 1.8 says that we'll be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, which is really good, right? Because when you're going into the hole to block, what you need is power. You want to blow somebody up. But listen, where Pentecostals miss that verse is, we're pretty sure that we have power so we can do a much better celebration dance in the end zone. No. We are filled with power so that we can blow up the enemy so that Jesus can do what he needs to do. Period. <laughs> you don't hear a lot of testimonies like this. Yeah, I've been going to Pentecostal church all my life, and I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And Tell you what, I know I've got the power of the Holy Spirit because lots of times I am on the ground and Jesus is running over me. You don't hear a lot of those, do you? But that's exactly why we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So that we can be his witnesses. So we can go before him. Into the hole. Go first. Be willing to lay your life down. Go hard. Blow up the people that are in the way. The obstacles that are in the way. The spiritual warfare that has to be done. Put on your armor and hit the hole hard. And then go away. Move out of the way. Let Jesus do what he wants to do. Needs to do. Acts 1.8, you have power for that, so you'll be his witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are now Christ's ambassadors. Paul goes on to say, I implore you, be reconciled to Jesus. That's our whole mission. Our mission is to just point people to Jesus, point people to Jesus. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. And so accomplishing that mission means that, yes, we go first, that we go hard and we go away, and it will cost us. And that's the, the big idea for today. There's a price to pay when you make the way. There is a price to pay when you make the way. Um, I love how following Jesus, here's what we want. Everybody wants the fairy tale ending, don't we? Is that okay to say? We all want the fairy tale ending. We want to follow Jesus, and we want people five, ten years from now to say, man, what, what was it that, what was it that propelled you to have a mansion like this, to build a house, just some, such an immense, beautiful house? What was it that helped you sell millions of copies of books? What was it that helped you make a patent for that great thing that you invented, and now you're just rolling in the dough? Oh, well, it was back in 2013 I made a decision to follow Jesus. And ever since then, my life's been on the upward climb. We all want the fairy tale ending, but the, the Bible I read, it just seems like the closer people got to Jesus, the more they died. We're not signing up for that. We've Americanized it too much. The people that were closest to Jesus paid the greatest price to make sure people saw Jesus. John 16, 33. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But, and that's a great but, right? There's good buts and bad buts. The bad buts are at Walmart, but this is a good but. But I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. He's like, man, go first. Go hard. 
and then go get out of the way. Let, let me just come through because, you're, yeah, it's going to be trouble. You're going to get hurt. You're going to meet some linebacker that's just like jacked up on steroids, and he's going to blow you up when you should be blowing him up. And, but guess what? I have overcome the world. We know that we're making a way for something, or in our case, someone that's greater than us. I keep thinking, why would anybody, why would John the Baptist give his whole life for Jesus? Why would anybody on the, on the, on the ship looking at Omaha Beach, why would anybody jump off a ship knowing you're going to die? Because they're living for something greater. Because they're willing to go first so that somebody else behind them can live. Because the men that were jumping off that boat, guess what some of them had back home? A wife that they didn't want Hitler to kill. So I'll go first. I'll jump off. And I will go hard. And I will make sure this monster never messes with my family. And they died in the process. What are you motivated by? There's a price to pay if we make the way. But when the kingdom is advanced, we're going to look up from the ground and we're going to see Jesus cross the goal line. And so there's a reward as well. Jesus wins. And making the way for a winner, even at personal loss, is worth it. Those men that we read about earlier, Tommy Vardell, who blocked for Barry Sanders the year that Barry Sanders ran for 2,000 yards. Walter Payton's fullback. These men, Daryl Johnson, who now I just know him as Moose because that's what everybody called him. But he's got the same ring Emmett Smith does. He didn't score nearly as many touchdowns, which is hard for me to say that because he's a cowboy and it's just really hard to talk about cowboys and touchdowns, except today I hope they get a lot. But, man, they gave up something, but they won, didn't they? They got the same ring. They were champions too. We win. So you got to ask yourself this question. Is it worth it? If Jesus wins and I'm the one that's blocking and making a way for Jesus, if I'm doing what John the Baptist did and I'm the fullback for Jesus, and if he wins, is that enough for me? Right? Is it enough for me to ask Jesus, Lord, I'm blocking for you. I'm trying to make a way for you. And I'm stuck in this job that I cannot stand around people that do not love Jesus. But apparently I'm doing this to make a way for you to speak into their lives. Or I don't have a job. I need a job. And I'm just trusting you. And I'm just in a bad spot right now. And I don't know what to do. And I just have to ask you. I've given you everything I've got. I feel like I've done the best I could. I've even gotten up in the morning and read my Bible for five minutes a day for a week. Come on, God. And now I'm facing this. Is it really worth it? And you have to ask yourself, is this a good enough answer for you? Because it was for John the Baptist. The blind see. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The gospel is being preached. Someday we'll hear these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You made a way for me. And so I've made a place for you. Enter into your rest. Right now we're making a way. And he's going to make a place for us and I can only speak for me but that's enough for me
God, I pray in this room right now that you would just help us, God, to count the cost. It's not so much that we have to sign up for, you know, all the pain that we can possibly handle. And so, we, you know, it's not like that, God. It's just, I want to follow you. I, I want to I fulfill the role that John the Baptist fulfilled. I want in my life, in this city, in this county, in this culture, I want to go before you. I, I want to make a way for you. I want people to hear about Jesus because of how I live my life. So, God, I want to go first. I want to go with power. I want to go hard. God, I want to be so sure of who you are that I'm willing to go away when it's time. Just to let you step through and be God. So this morning, God, I'm recommitting myself to that. To playing my part on the team. To simply saying, hey, Jesus, you got the rock, I'm going to go, and I'm going to just, I'm going to blow up the line for you. So you can get through, and you can do what you need to do. And I pray right now for those that are in the room that are, are saying the same thing right now. Man, Jesus, just a block for you is an honor. I believe this, God, that John the Baptist was in prison, that he was asking, are you really the one? Because if you weren't really the one, Jesus, John the Baptist was going to get right back out of prison, and he was going to start blocking some more. He wasn't done until you were revealed. God, give us that same heart, that same passion. And we're not done. We're not done until you are glorified. You must increase. We must decrease. While your heads are bowed, let me just say this to you. Let's not make this so spiritual that we walk out of here talking about how Jesus is going to grow bigger in our lives if we're not willing to take the steps to decrease ourselves. So that means this. Maybe there's things in your life right now that maybe there's relationships and you've not been willing to go first just to make it right. You have sat back and said, well, I'll pray for them and someday God will move them and they'll come make it right. They'll search their own heart and figure it all out. Maybe today God's just telling you, hey, quit being a pansy. Go to the hole and go hard. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's make it right. Go first. Just go first. Go hard. And then go away. And that allows Jesus to be Jesus. That brings him glory. And that allows him to increase. And it does make us decrease. And I'm not even going to lie to you. It's hard. It hurts the pride a lot. But what an awesome step. To make a way for Jesus. To do all that he wants to do in this county. In this city. In this church. And in our lives personally. So when I say amen in a few minutes. And everybody gets up and they're dropping their offering in the boxes. And everybody's talking. If you got some stuff you need to work out with somebody. Maybe they're not even here. You just need to get in the car and make a phone call. I'm just, I'm begging you make the phone call. Go first. Go first.
let Jesus come after you and receive glory because of that. Thank you, God, for today and just a chance to be with your family. Thank you for, again, John the Baptist. Um, thank you for a man who didn't hold anything back, who knew what his mission was. My mission is to go before Jesus and to make the path straight, and he did that. God, I pray that you would give us that same spirit, that we would always go ahead of you, Jesus. We'd always go first. We'd always go with strength and power, that we would always go with a heart that says, when I'm done, I'm going to get out of the way so Jesus can shine through. When we do that, God, I thank you that we get to celebrate with you as your kingdom grows. That's the win for us, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.